you're listening to a Mash Those Buttons podcast. Visit mashthosebuttons.com for a full podcast schedule. Hello and welcome to a special Wow Talk Watchpoint Radio crossover episode. Uh, my name is Nick Zelenkevich and I'm the host of uh, Wow Talk, and I'm here with Jarrett Redding, one of the hosts of Watchpoint Radio. Hello. And also Ray Lou from Wow Talk. Hey, hey. And Eric Knutson from Wow Talk. Hey, guys. And today is November 6th, 2016, and we're all here to talk about BlizzCon. Um, both our games are made by Blizzard, and BlizzCon was this weekend, and so we've got a lot to discuss about the the games that we play and we talk about, and also the other games that Blizzard does. We figure we'll mention those as well. So uh, let's get into it right here, uh, Jarrett. Since you're uh, you're you're coming to us from Watchpoint Radio, uh, what did you think of the Overwatch announcements? Well. <sighs> First of all, I'm really glad they got the somber shit out of the way super early. I'm very happy about that. Because I was tired of dealing with Sombra. I was tired of hearing about it. I was tired of the ARG. I'm really glad they didn't string that along. So when they announced Sombra, I was very, very happy about that. Can't complain. Um, other than that, I mean, I, I did, we did get a bit more um, than I expected. Because you know you had Sombra, they announced the Overwatch League, they announced the the new arcade, which is kind of like the StarCraft arcade, except that it has no user, um, no user created mods. It's just, but it's a bunch of stuff outside of the normal realm of what we consider Overwatch now. Um, and what else? They have? Oh, they announced a new map that's not going to be like a main map. It's built small specifically so that it can host like 1v1s and 3v3s and stuff like that. So I'm like, that's pretty cool. They're really trying to find ways to have people play the game without having to play the game. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, is that sort of them cheating as far as a solution for, you know, because I know you've said like quick play is terrible in the past. Um, and I get the feeling that you're not the only person that believes that. And so is this their solution to that problem rather than actually trying to fix or balance the game for them just to be like, if you think you're great and you're getting stuck with shitty teams, just play by yourself. Absolutely. This is, this is great because, well, one, one of the reasons why quick play was terrible is because you can, it doesn't have a hero limit. That's why quick play. That's the main reason why quick play was awful. I mean, they they can say it's balanced however they want, but when you're fighting against five divas or five junk rats, it's manageable. Like you can overcome that, but it is not fun to do, and that defeats the entire purpose of playing quick play. So now with this new arcade, I think a lot of the people who don't necessarily like the well, I mean, it's not that they don't like the normal format of Overwatch, but they may, you know, they're not necessarily that into it, especially from the competitive aspect. I think this arcade is going to pull those people away into some of these arcade games, especially those who like stack like hero stacking. 
this they they'll have no choice because quick play is going sing, single pick uh single hero pick uh very soon probably some not next week cuz it's going on the PTR next week maybe the week after that but the arcade is going to have a 6v6 no limit pick the arcade is going to have uh you know you'll be able to access those brawls that used to be weekly you'll be able to access them all the time now there's going to be 1v1 game types 3v3 game types we'll probably get Lucio ball in there we'll probably get uh, this Junkenstein thing in there so yeah i think this is going to help out because it's going to take it's going to remove a lot of people from who aren't necessarily i guess fps fans and don't necessarily want to do the whole team-based shooter thing and the only people who are really going to be left or actually most of the group that's left will be the people who actually want to play overwatch the way it was originally intended so yes, to answer your question, long-winded way. <laughs> it's you good. know that that actually sounds like an interesting situation that they have. That they've got a bunch of FPS or people who are not FPS fans playing this game, which is an FPS. And it it sounds like the corollary to something I was listening to during I think it was Holinka who said this during one of the WoW the the Legion design retrospective. He was talking about how uh, for years they didn't they didn't have the same number of you know, like there's all the WoW players and only a subset of them played PvP. And then they, he said that the assumption was just that, oh, these are people who only do PvE content. They don't do PvP content. And then they released games like Heroes of the Storm and Overwatch. And these same people were loving these games where there was no PvE content. And he's like, clearly we were missing something because these people are, are playing PvP when we've given it to them. And it must, you know, it's not them, it's us. And so I kind of wonder if maybe... Like, like, I don't know. It seems like the the people that play Overwatch that don't like, I, because I, I, I don't know. I fundamentally feel like there are people that just don't like PvP, and and maybe, but I feel like also like that there's a very strong pull like to play like every Blizzard game, and I don't know. It, it, it some something counterintuitive there. there. There's something that doesn't seem right that you get these people who sh- I, 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 I don't, and I'm, I'm saying this as somebody who does not play Overwatch, but I feel like there are people who play Overwatch yet for no logical reason should be playing Overwatch. Well, there's a couple things that you said there that I'm going to address. Um, first of all, a lot of people played Overwatch simply because they loved the characters. Like when Tracer appeared on screen and they saw when it's like, oh, I can't wait for this game because of the characters. You don't even know what they're going to do yet. You don't know how the game is going to be played. And yet people were like raving and can't wait for this game. So a lot of people played the game simply based off the fact that they like the characters. And and that's a credit to uh, the the, the character design. Blizzard did a great job designing those characters. Well, it's not this. This isn't the first time Blizzard has gotten a group of people who normally don't play something to play something. Look at World of Warcraft. Like people who, a lot of people who play World of Warcraft don't play MMOs. And you know what I'm talking about. Like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, a lot of people who play World of Warcraft did not play MMOs. You know what was it? 12 million people? 12? That's why World of Warcraft was such an anomaly. 13 million, sorry, was their peak, right? So it was World of Warcraft was such an anomaly because you had people who never played before. And it kind of almost became socially acceptable to do so. You know? So you know, this even then, you know, you you can go into that a little bit further and say that there are people who play World of Warcraft not as an MMO that they come in and they treat it like a complete single player experience, and that is still something that the game is struggling with. That they're trying, you know, whenever they try to introduce, you know, multiplayer content, that you know they don't always get the right response to that because there are people who are like, well, no, I just want to play by myself, and so yeah, so I mean, that's 
that almost seems like that's Blizzard's core problem is that in trying to make everything so accessible, they make it accessible to the wrong kinds of people. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then you said the thing about PvP because you said in WoW PvP, they didn't. They were trying to figure out what they did wrong, like why people weren't playing it. The P, the re, some people don't like PvP simply for the fact that they want to play by themselves. They don't want any other person involved. But a lot of people, I'll say the vast majority of people don't play PvP because technically speaking, PvP is not really that fun. PvP, it, people who, who play PvP because they like PvP is because you like the challenge. Like me, like I love the fact that I am playing against somebody on the other end of the internet and they are trying their best to best me and they can't do it. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is what, that is, that is why I love it. Like you, I like the challenge of it. You know, I like the, the feel like it's cause you I mean, you can always be the computer, you know, even on a, a computer at its hardest difficulty level, unless it is specifically built to not die or uh, not allow you to complete the objective, which is possible. But you know, a computer has high, diff, highest difficulty level. Once you figure it out, you can beat it, you know, but to have another person on the other side, you know, those salty tears they just taste so good. And, then, you know, not everybody enjoys that aspect of PvP because as much as it feels good to happen, it sucks when you're on the other side of it sometimes. Like, you know, when you're within, like, an inch of victory and you, somebody just takes that away from you. And some people never want to experience failure on that level. Somebody has to make those salty tears. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You give and you receive. It's, it's the way it works <laughs> in the salty tears business. I think I've witnessed Jared in his happy moments when we were at PAX one year, and uh, definitely someone was like, damn you, General Akbar." Yeah, that's the name I was going by. They screamed my name <laughs> while we were at PAX. So it was awesome. They, they were that frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> I witnessed the frustration. It happens, and he, he enjoys it. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, but I, 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 I'm... Trying to unpack that General Akbar name, which is just completely befuddling me. Well, it was because, like, so it was some, like, so, okay, Pax East was, like, 2011, and the guy ahead of me, I guess, because you can only be on the PCs for about an hour, and we went to PC Quick Play, or PC uh, Free Play, so the guy ahead of me was General Akbar, I didn't feel like changing the name on Steam, so I just kept it, but I was playing TF2 Sniper, and I was just killing everybody, it's specifically this one guy, because I can see him getting frustrated through the game, I can see him trying to do different things, and I wouldn't allow him to do it, and, and <laughs> that's when you heard it, that's when you heard it, a couple rows down. It was amazing. Oh, I wish I recorded that because that was actually really funny. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but yeah, the you're right. I mean, Overwatch does attract a lot of people who normally don't play shooters, and that's actually inside the community. That's kind of a point of contention in itself because there are some people who are very against what's happening to quick play very soon that the single hero limit they're like why couldn't you leave quick play alone we just want to have fun we want to have fun our way and it, they're completely ignoring the fact that this game is a team-based game and it's meant for people to work together i don't care that you like to play widowmaker if widowmaker isn't good for this part for this for the for the comp that we have right now you should not be playing her because that's how the game is made to be played 
it's not made to be played for you to play however you want. Because, I, I mean, like, literally, in the forums, people are like, I paid my $60. I want to pay, play the game how I want to play it. Like, no, it doesn't work like that, Chief. It's not a sandbox game. Well, yeah, but doesn't this fix kind of... I mean, this this fundamentally fixes that. Now you can just go into 1v1 and just play Widowmaker to your heart's content, and nobody else has to suffer because you can't make good decisions. Right. <laughs> like the, the arcade is going to open up a lot of stuff. I think they're going to... I, they didn't say anything about it, but I mean, the the logical conclusion um, is that they're going to end up making it so that custom games can be customized even more. This is something we talked about on Watchpoint Radio before, because Overwatch obviously is young. There's a few game modes, and those game modes are tied to maps, and uh, you know, down like, as as they keep adding game modes, they're going to have no choice but to start to segregate them and allow you to do what you want. So this is just this is just the way to go, you know. So I mean that's I think that's that's the the arcade and the the solo quick play thing are probably the two of the biggest announcements for me, to be honest with you. They did announce a new map, which is a new control map that's gonna have a jump pad. I mean, I really don't know how that's gonna work out in Overwatch because I do like the fact that so only certain characters have vertical mobility. That's a that's a uh, that's pretty cool. Like you know. And there's counters for that specifically. So now if, if certain characters can get up and above uh, to certain places very quickly, I, I really don't know how that's going to work. I mean, I am curious. I mean, I do appreciate new maps. Um, I did not think they were going to announce them this early. I thought that they were going to announce Sombra, let Sombra come out, and then at the next season of Overwatch, then they were going to put out a new map. I really don't want them to put out a new map mid-season. Just like I don't want them to put out new characters mid-season. I don't know why they did that. Well, I guess because it was the first season they did it with Anna, but yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Yeah, I really don't like doing that. <laughs> if I can just say one thing about the Sombra announcement, um, because it was announced during Morheim's uh, opening opening remarks, he started off talking about WoW, and he talked about nothing that was coming in WoW. He just talked about everything that had happened in the past in WoW. Like, oh, 2016 was a great year for WoW. Moving on to Overwatch, and... <laughs> I mean, that, on the one hand, that left like the WoW community. I know some people in the WoW community were a little bit salty about the fact that there was no real, like, you know, announcements for WoW in the opening ceremony. We got that made up later, and that's all cool. But then he get into Overwatch, and he's like, "Okay." And 2016 was also a great year for Overwatch. Let's look at a you know, let's say, here's a video look back. And even though like we all knew that like. Or, or, yeah, I'd say we all knew. We all knew that, like, oh, Sombra's totally going to hack the opening ceremony. And here's a video where she's a perfect opportunity for her to do so. He still set it up like, I'm not really announcing anything. I'm just here to look back at everything. And they used the fact that they were didn't really want to talk about WoW stuff to set up the fact that it's like, oh, here's a video that doesn't look like we're going to announce Sombra. Wink, wink. I thought that was a nice little... I did think so. I actually thought my, my fucking internet was fucking up when I was watching on the digital ticket. But yeah. then I heard the crowd in the background. I'm like, oh, okay. This is... This is Sombra, which, by the way, I mean, the short is, I guess the short that they showed was fine. It's right above the Soldier 76 one, which is the worst one <laughs> to me. Like, I, I, think the, I think it was okay. Alive is still the best one. I will argue you know, that this, this short, I feel like it had a different mission than the other shorts did because the other shorts all came out. And when they came out, people had already played the beta. People had already seen the gameplay footage online. They knew how the characters would handle and be played. With Sombra, we knew nothing about her. 
aside from and even even the leaked information we had no idea actually how she would play how she would handle so this it felt like not only was this supposed to be like an introduction to the character but this was also like let's show what she can do in the in this video like when you're watching tracer versus widowmaker like you're not at least i wasn't i wasn't really paying attention like oh are there any of the any abilities that tracer or widowmaker are specifically making use of here i'm sure some of them were in there but with 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 sombra there's the thing where she throws that little it looks like a landmine down and then like nothing happens and later on she blinks back to that yeah like that was all intentionally in there to show like no this is a demonstration of her abilities and i thought i think if you account for that, like in that metric, as far as did this do a good job of introducing Sombra, I think that did a great job. But yeah, you're right. As far as cinematically, did it did it compare to any of the other prior cinematics? Uh, personally, I still love the uh, the Genji Hanzo cinematic. I think that one's my personal favorite. Uh, but yeah, like the Bastion one was also super great. This one. This one, this one, I think there was a lot more going on. It didn't really, didn't really stack up in the same way. This one was almost like it was setting up a story. Like the the other, um, the other cinematics were very compacted. Like it had its own story, it had a start and a finish. This one was like it was setting up something that's gonna that's gonna string along, and we're gonna see in other cinematics. The best part of the cinematic to me was when Zarya popped out at the end. I'm like, all right. <laughs> now was Zarya the little girl in the the picture? Zarya? No, the little girl in the picture. No, Zarya was the the hero at the very end when she was like, No, no, no. I mean, you know I know, I know, I know, I know who Zarya is, but I, I mean, because the thing is, like, I, I, I was struggling to just follow the basic plot of the thing. So, oh, like, right. there was that one one executive who kept like when when Sombra shows up at the end there, and then she has that like quiet meeting with the Russian executive, and that executive's got that picture of the girl. I couldn't tell if like you know like that like little girl growth like. You know, that was an old picture I, yeah, I of Zarya when so. she was a little girl. Now Zarya's full grown. I don't like, think so. I can tell so. that was the same person. That's somebody else. No, because Zarya is from like a, uh, she's from like a, a village that's right near where the Omnics are. So no, her mom oh, okay. is not the, the Volskaya, whatever. I forget what her, her first name was. Something Volskaya. I don't know. I had a feeling that the it almost felt to me like that Russian executive was supposed to become like, oh, she's going to be a playable character at some point. But then Zarya showed up the end. I'm like, okay, like there needed to be a counterbalance to Sombra in that whole thing. And I think Zarya coming at the end, like she provided that that heft to be like, okay, like there's definitely some sort of there's definitely some sort of conflict here between the various factions, not just Sombra and uh, Talon. As uh, as was demonstrated, yeah. But I'm cur- I'm curious to see how they're gonna do because ne- this, technically speaking, is season two of those cinematics. Are the cinematics going to have more? Um, are they gonna be more story based now? Like, are, is there gonna be a series? I don't know. I hope so because right now the lore is so scattered in Overwatch. Even the comics that they put out don't really help too much with the lore. Like the McCree comic, kind of tells you more about McCree or at least his personality but it doesn't really tell you about the lore of Overwatch the one I guess the ones that had the most lore were the ones uh like Pharah's had a decent amount of lore because that's why you learn Temple of Anubis that the the level Temple of Anubis you're actually fighting to get to an AI that's inside the temple then the uh the ones with um Anna her mom both of them were lore based like what happened to her you know, what happened to her, like, when she disappeared, and then also how she hooked back up with Soldier 76. So, 
yeah, they, they, they have this great lore, or at least they're making it seem like they have this great lore. They're letting your imagination wander, but maybe they don't, and that's why they're doing it the way they are? Well, do you think that it's coincidence that the weakest cinematic comes out after Chris Metzen has left? Well, I wouldn't call this the weakest. Like I said, it sits right above the Soldier 76 one. That was the weakest one. That, that to me, that was the weakest one. The Soldier Seventy Six one was just kind of like, meh. <laughs> you know, I uh, I really didn't like it a lot much. I would have much, huh? No, so you don't feel there's been any noticeable shift in the storytelling since his exit, at least at this. Not point. really, because I mean, I think we had this conversation before. The storytelling of Overwatch is really—they're not doing a great job telling the story. You know, they they really aren't. But, you know, but I, th- I think that kind of ties back, though, to fundamentally the story shouldn't matter. But at the same time, like, if you're because, again, then what happens with the stories? You're going to get these people like all hyped, like, oh, Sombra's my favorite character. I'm going to play her in every map all the time. And it's like, no, don't do that. Yeah, you get a lot of losses. But then, like, then who we're back to those people who really don't care because they're having fun, but they're mm-hmm. sucking the fun out of somebody else's mm-hmm. experience. You're a bad person. Yep. <laughs> No, but I, uh, I mean, I overall was pretty pleased with how they handled the Overwatch stuff. They, they, you know, when they went to not the QA, but the I guess the Overwatch What's New panel, they went out into her uh, more in depth, where they talked about her, uh, you know, her hacking abilities, where she can disrupt somebody's ability, she can disrupt somebody's moves, or actually, her ultimate disrupts everybody's moves. And I don't think there's any way to, I don't think there's any way to block that. Uh, yeah, because Reinhardt had his shield up, but she was behind him. I don't know if you're... Because Reinhardt can block D.Va's, like, explosion. He can block a lot of stuff. I don't know if he can block that EMP blast from the front. The, the EMP blast, does that only attack hostiles, or does it block your, your teammates as well? No, there is no friendly fire at all here in this game. Okay, There needs to be, for Junkrat's sake. Because <laughs> he just fucking lobs grenades all over the place, but we're not going to get into that right now. I could talk about that for a long time. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, like I think she, she's gonna she's gonna be very interesting, and I think uh, I think the community is actually gonna have a hard time adjusting to her because it's a it's a she it's a she can she essentially silences people, right? And this game relies heavily on abilities and ultimates. And you have a character that can shut that down every 20 seconds. Or, oh, sorry, every 10 seconds or so. She can set, shut down people's abilities and make them almost useless. I mean, like, if she hacks a tracer, for five seconds, a tracer cannot jump around. The tracer's going to die. Like, unless you're, unless you're bad at, like, you know, fighting. The tracer is going to die, so yeah, it's it's pretty. I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting seeing how she's. I'm pretty sure she's going to be a must pick, especially in the competitive aspects. You know, and maybe we could just have the two fucking sombras disabling each other. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I'd like to keep it. Um, other than that, though, they. I I found the play by sound. I was just like, well, I'm going to watch it just to watch it and see what happens. I thought it was pretty good. And I think console players specifically need to watch play by sound. Because I, actually I was playing with a, um, a a listener of Watchpoint Radio today. And, you know, we were talking about how 
nobody responds to sound cues. Like, as a Reaper, I can sneak behind. Actually, while we were playing, I snuck behind the enemy team twice and did my Reaper ult with nobody uh, trying to stop me. And that's because they couldn't hear me that well because they're not wearing headphones or they're not playing with the sound on properly. But Overwatch needs to be played with headphones on every platform. And the play-by-sound just talks about why that is the case. I mean, footsteps are different for enemy. Enemy footsteps are louder. Footsteps are unique for every single character. You know, voice lines are different when people are doing their alt for enemies. Um, you know, for enemies and uh, allies. Uh, even if multiple people are shooting, right, in, in an area, but somebody is pointing at you and shooting, the sound of them shooting at you is louder than everybody else's. They have a priority system for sound. Like it just talk about how important sound is, and I think it will really help the console community get those bastions from sneaking up behind you. <laughs> you know, because he's not a stealth character, by the way. <laughs> he's not supposed to sneak up behind you. Um. So yeah, I was very, I was pleased with their Overwatch uh, offerings. Include. <laughs> oh, go ahead. You want to say something? I was going to say, what did you think about the uh, the Overwatch League that was announced? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, basically what the Overwatch League sounds like to me is like the MLG Combine from years ago. And I don't think, and I don't follow MLG like that, so I may be wrong, but I don't think they're doing MLG Combines anymore. Because it really didn't work out. Now, it could be because MLG was before its time. You know, oh, the MLG combine was before its time. But um, I do respect what they're trying to do in in terms of building into an actual league. Go ahead. You know, I I just realized, didn't Blizzard buy MLG? Activision bought MLG, didn't they? Well, Activision Blizzard bought MLG, yes. (laughs) They did. So, like, is 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 that maybe is this maybe what we're seeing the fruits of that that they bought MLG back at the beginning of the year and that's just so they could resurrect the whole combine experience? Maybe I don't know because they were definitely MLG was definitely trying to get like city based teams, and that's what we're gonna see here in the Overwatch League. That's ex- yeah, we're, that's exactly what we're gonna. Yeah, see. you're gonna see like region based teams like the Philadelphia something, you know. And uh, they're going to hold combines in each city, and players are going to have salaries with benefits. <sighs> now, here's the thing about that. For, you know, let's say the, the sal- I think the salaries of the MLG combine were somewhere around 40K, right? It was somewhere around 40K. So you're 21, you're 22, you play the combine. You could be making 40K, which to a 21, 22-year-old ain't that bad, you know? Um, First of all, like, how stable is that job? How great are the benefits? Where's the... It ultimately comes, like, where's the money coming from? Because with sports teams, the money comes from merchandising and buying tickets and, you know, buying concessions and stuff like that. So that's where you get their money from. Where who Where's the money coming from to support these players? Uh, in these in these different regions, well, Crusher yeah. ninety nine certainly seemed like they had plenty of merchandising opportunities. 
Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> we go ahead. I mean, that's just how uh, the original E athletes, I just say, supported themselves. Like, look at Fatality. I don't even know if that's a household, not a household name, but I don't even know if that's a big name anymore. Um, well, I should say a big name because uh, I, I know he's definitely not a big name anymore, but I don't know if people even recognize that name anymore from the early 2000s. You know, does everybody on this podcast even know who Fatality was? I remember the name. Bit. You remember the name, okay? I <laughs> he, I mean, yeah, he, that's like complaining like people who watch football don't know who Jim Brown was anymore. Yeah, like, like Fatality, he was one of the first to get those endorsement deals. He had a deal with Sound Blaster. Uh, shit, my sound card is a Titan Fatality Pro. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not a coincidence. It's his branding. It's a great sound card, by the way, which he had zero to do with engineering it. <laughs> but um, his name is on it. But, uh... You know, he like so. It's definitely possible. That's that's not new. You know, they, we you know back in in the land party days, you had people who were sponsored by balls and you know shit like that. So uh, you could definitely you know do that. But and I guess I could supplement your salary. So I mean, if, if it really works out, it could put it could work out in your favor. But you know, I don't think esports is not in a place. Where I think you could, you should be telling these. Uh, I don't want to call them kids because I'm not that much older. But, but um, where you could tell you them, I, I am. But where you, where you could, where you could tell these people that, oh no, you could just do this. You could focus on this at a time where they should be focusing on building up a stable lifestyle and um, you know, w- you know, working their entry level jobs and stuff like that to get into higher positions. Be- but, but isn't Maybe that's the thing is we have to look like this major league gaming is some sort of entry level job that they come out here, they get on a team or they, you know, they, they, they support their, their region as it were, and they get known that way. And then when they get big enough and 40 K isn't enough, then they can break off and maybe between some combination of ad sponsorship and Patreon, they can make more money. Assuming there's money to be made there. I mean, I don't know how much money is actually in, in, in esports for the talent outside of, you know, like large windfalls from winning competitions. Yeah, I mean that's that's like I said, they could probably make a decent amount of money. It's it's one of those things. It's one of those situations where, and don't get me wrong, I'm not dis- I don't want to discourage anybody from trying this. I I don't want to say, well, this 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 is never going to work because I don't. I actually do think if this is work if this is run properly, it could work. But how long is that going to take? You know, there were people back in the early 2000s or mid 2000s that played that were pro gamers and they went to world cyber games they went to cpl and they won a hundred thousand dollars in one shot you know and now i like i i know like i knew some of those guys and now like you know they're just getting back on their feet from stabilizing from the fact that that wasn't a stable you know source of income why did Major League Gaming fail, I guess? Or was it just that it was too early? Well, is it that if they had tried all those same things now, that the market and the the market's different and that the world seems to be a bit more re- receptive to esports, mm-hmm. that it could succeed and, and that would bode well for what Blizzard's trying to do here? Or is it, was there some fundamental business flaw that it didn't work for them before, and even though Blizzard has bought everything and now they're trying to do the same thing again, it's just going to fail all over again? Well, I mean, like Major League Gaming itself didn't fail. It was just the com- I think the combine idea that really failed. But there, I think the reason why, well, first of all, yes, they were too early to do it, and that's one of the problems. However, the only reason they can do it 
now is because of companies like Riot and even Blizzard doing what they're doing now, where Riot uh, was able to take League of Legends and get a whole bunch of people to play it. And so now you have a large, and people loved that game. People loved League of Legends so much. They loved playing it. It made them feel good. It was a lot of fun for them, for the most part. Um, And now you have a huge audience of people to watch the best of the best play that game. And the reason they were able to do that was accessibility. The problem that MLG had, I think, or that that competitive games had before uh, League of Legends, is that competitive games were built to be competitive. They were not built for accessibility. They weren't built so that, uh, uh, you know, a new player could kind of, like, hop in and just, you know, play. That, that was it. Like, you know, technically, technically speaking, if you wanted to play Counter-Strike, you could, but you would quickly hit your skill ceiling, <laughs> you know, and you were really, like, and, and then on top of that, if you played against somebody who was actually, like, a real pro, that's not a fun experience, <laughs> you know? Um, but games like League of Legends, where they specifically made the game easier to play so that more people would go to play it. I mean, it's a very smart idea if you want to sell games or in their case, you know, get people to play it so they can, you know, buy a free-to-play stuff. You know, that's why the game was so successful. You know, that's why so many people played that game. And then they, they, you know, sweetened the prize pools for those tournaments that they were running, and they got pro players from other forms of Dota. Like a lot of pro players were playing um what was it called? Uh Heroes of New Earth. And they came over to play League of Legends once they saw that how big the prize pool were and then bam, that's there it is. That's the magic. So going back to Overwatch though, you said a game can either be built to be competitive or be accessible. Which because it seems to me like Blizzard tr- had both those goals in mind when they released Overwatch. So which one did they like which one did they wind up choosing? Because I, I, I well, I could see that you want to try to do both of those. At some point, you're going to have to choose. Exactly, and that's the problem that Overwatch has, and it's the reason why I don't think that game companies or, or that publishers and developers should be running their competitive communities. Because as a publisher and a developer, you have to, you can't just cater to the competitive community because they're they're the exception not the rule less people will play your game if you uh cater to the competitive community uh however if you cater to the to the non-competitive community all the time then the game won't be competitive at all so now the developer has to technically speaking have live in both worlds and the game will not be as competitive as it could be and at the same time, it's not going to be as accessible as it could be. But isn't even a game that is responding to the community, though, wouldn't wouldn't the developers at some point, even if they're not actually running the, the community, that that's a complete separate, you know, the, or the competitive community, I should say, if that's a complete separate uh, entity from the developer, at some point, if they see that that's getting successful, wouldn't they start to cater to that anyway, just because they would want to foster that and they would assume that you know the bigger it gets as a sport that's all free publicity for them the bigger it gets as a sport the more that's going to sell for them and then the you know the bigger their game gets and it becomes sort of a, a self-perpetuating feedback loop uh not necessarily because while it may be fun for people to watch they won't play it like for example i uh, have a friend who loves 
competitive StarCraft 2, who loves StarCraft 2 esports, he will watch the shit out of it. Won't play it. Because he tried playing it, so he says it's not fun to play. Essentially. Did he buy a copy of StarCraft 2, though? Uh, no, he played mine for a while. So... That, okay then so that didn't work yeah it didn't work like yeah i get what you're saying like they just want people to buy the game and try okay. it out well it depends on how they're monetizing it but because i guess the thing here is if we're looking at this as though that you know activision blizzard purchases mlg gaming and this matches the overwatch league matches up very closely to what mlg gaming had been attempting to try previously that if if mlg existed as its own separate infrastructure and the only difference now is that blizzard owns it you know and and but you know it's not clear it's not like jeff kaplan is going to be running mlg right so is it is even though yes it is the, the the publisher and the developer owning the competitive gaming in this case but is it still separate enough that you can have that the differentiation between the developer and the community or no because it's all under one house it's all terrible no i don't and do right i'm not saying that it's all terrible i'm just saying it's not as good as it could be like i'll take a look at competitive counter-strike for example uh when counter-strike came out it had maps it had you know it it had maps and um modding tools so people who are in the competitive community of course the the competitive game started around those base maps right but as players got better and people began to perfect those games like you know playing those games they the competitive community actually ended up tweaking those maps to be more balanced than the developer could ever make them like there's there's characters in overwatch that are straight up not balanced because it's because of how uh fun it is to play them being unbalanced <laughs> you know so you know that being in, in compare like in competitive and not being able to tweak that out like that's an issue so would you feel better then if there was like a, an Overwatch competitive edition and Overwatch casual edition? They don't even have to do that. They need to release modding tools. Like that's, that's basically what. <laughs> that's what. It, but no, I guess what I'm trying to say though is because you 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 want Blizzard to just sort of release the game to the wild and let the community build itself up. And I guess I'm trying to find some way that Blizzard can maintain control over all of this while still addressing all of your concerns. No, I mean like they. Uh, it's. I'm pretty sure. Like, I, have, I think I told. I talked about some of the uh, the last episode. Watch my radio. I have not read the TOS or the the EULA for Overwatch, but I'm pretty sure if it's anything like StarCraft Two, Blizzard has complete control over any tournament, any stream, anything that they want to when it comes to that game. So they can have that, but at the same time, they still need to allow the competitive community to, to let itself flourish. I mean, technically speaking, before there was competitive Overwatch, the community had already set up rules for competitive Overwatch. Luckily, uh, Blizzard was very open to those rules to a degree. Here it is, perfect example of why developers should not be running their competitive communities. So competitive Overwatch comes out, right? Competitive mode. And one of the first mistakes I saw was that they did not limit hero picks in competitive mode. And then when people said you need to limit hero picks, they're like, no, no, we don't want to do that. We want people to be able to explore with combinations and stuff like that, and that's what we want to do. You don't explore in competitive mode. I don't even play that, and I know that. But they they, they really (laughs) thought that was going to add to the game. No, it didn't. What it did was make fucking five Torbjorns on uh you know on console in competitive mode that's what that did you know like you know people stacking heroes that was unfair and people coming in there and just fucking around so they that was one of the first changes they made 
you know, it's a competitive mode because they realize they made that mistake. Their mindset isn't the same as the people who eat, sleep, and breathe competitive games. Or eat, sleep, and breathe competitive Overwatch, you know? Like, for example, if if they release a modding tool that lets you, or a tool that lets you tweak damage on specific characters, that would be su- super helpful because, I mean, ca- like, you know, from a competitive standpoint, Widowmaker should have never been nerfed. Widowmaker being able to one-shot a Tracer is actually not a problem. Tracer only has 150 health, and if you're a Tracer that's running in a straight line toward a Widowmaker, you deserve to die. <laughs> okay? That, to me, sounds like a race. That's just <laughs> you deserve to die. I can do this. Like at, at, a, at a high competitive level, at a high competitive level, if a, tra- if a sh- Tracer got shot by a Widowmaker, it's because the Widowmaker is good. And the Widowmaker should be rewarded for that. Widowmaker should would have never got nerfed. But what happens? They nerf Widowmaker, and she's barely played right now. They're still trying to figure out how they're going to bring her back. That's why. The, the, so the basically you're saying this BlizzCon was a disappointment because they didn't announce buffs to Widowmaker. What is that? You said this BlizzCon was a disappointment because they didn't announce buffs to Widowmaker. Yeah, they, they're actually buffing her a little bit on the PTR to give her her quick scoop back. But they need to, I honestly think they need to return her damage to the way it was. Even though top players are still getting those headshots. So if you play against a top player, a top Widowmaker, you'll know. <laughs> they cheat. They use aimbots. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the league, I'm very curious to see how it goes. I'm curious to see, you know, uh, how many teams they form, you know, what the pay is actually going to be like. And then I'm curious to see what what we're going to see in, uh, you know, in competitive play. Because right what now. What are the odds that uh, you'll join a team? Because I want, I want to pick you when I do my fantasy Overwatch League. <laughs> no, I don't have, I, I do not have enough time for that. Like at best, I'm diamond level. These people who go who should be in these leagues are they need to be at least like they need to be like grandmaster league players. You know, nobody goes to an NBA game to see Willie from the basketball court play. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, like, I'm sure Willie's see... mom does, huh? I'm sure Willie's mom or his uncle. Yeah, does. as I say, like you want to see the best of the the best play, which is why I was a little disappointed in the Overwatch Cup. The fact that Team France made it so far and they only had two pro players in that team, that says a lot about the balance of the game to me. Because uh, a pro player versus a regular player, a regular player should be like Michael Jordan versus like you know even a even a, even a competitive player. It should be like Michael Jordan versus an NCAA player. You know what I'm saying? Or shit, a Scotty Pippen versus an NCAA player, you know, somebody who knows what they're doing. Like they, like a pro, a real pro, pro player should be dominating uh, those games. And so a team that only had two pro players on it makes it that far. Uh, and congrats to them; they they did a wonderful job. They actually gave Russia um, some scares there. But the the fact they made it that far tells me that the game isn't necessarily balanced to be as competitive as it could be. So. This is nothing new to anybody listening who who listens to Watchpoint Radio because they know how I feel about competitive Overwatch right now. Like it's it's. I will say that it wasn't as boring as the OW Open. It was not. The OW Open was like super boring, <laughs> you know. But this one, um, there, there was a, a there was a lot of variation in their composition, and it was funny because even even South Korea, it, when they were doing like their little like wrestler interviews. 
you know? South Korea's like, oh, Russia, they don't deviate from the meta. We're going to win this. Like, this is this, this is going to be it. And that show, even the, pro, the, the top pro team right now is telling everybody that the meta is not gospel, which is the name of one of my episodes of Watchpoint Radio. That means Jaws right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so do you have anything anything further on uh, on Overwatch at BlizzCon or? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, me and and my, me, I was gonna say me and McCree, <laughs> me and Mike and uh, Bond will probably dig in a little deeper on this week's episode of Watchpoint Radio. But I mean, I, I I've definitely talked longer than I expected to at this point. <laughs> I, I I figured you'd go. <laughs> <laughs> so. It's been a while since we've had the opportunity to exceed our topic uh, time limits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. Mo- so moving on to uh, the other game that we sort of cover in in, uh, in scope here. World of Warcraft. That, as I said, it got short shrift during the opening ceremony. And it really wasn't until the Legion uh, What's Next panel where uh, Ian Hezekostas came out. And I don't know. Did I know that Ian doesn't have the best reputation within the community, but I, I don't know. I, for one, have been very excited by his promotion to lead game director. I don't know. Do you guys think like, I thought he nailed the presentation. I thought he was perfect. He was, he was wry. He was, you know, he, he made little jabs at the community where it made sense to make jabs at the community, but overall he, he had a solid presentation. I think it helps that he had solid content to be delivering that. I mean, a, a monkey could have gone up there and would have delivered the presentation fine. <laughs> Um, just because they, the stuff he announced was awesome, but I think Ian, Ian feels like he's the, the great, he's the perfect guy to be leading WoW at this time, and it feels like, especially, it's it almost seems like there could be a bridge here where, under Chilton and everything that came before, that's when we had sort of these content gaps. That's when we've had issues with development. Right now, Ian being sort of a fresh face for the game, you know, they're coming out. I know he did an interview with Kotaku. Where he talked about, oh, we're not, you know, we're going to try to not have the gaps in game development. And it's easy for us to say, like, oh, we know we've heard this before and we always get a year of, of dead time between expansions. But I think that change in guard there, I think that gives Ian the opportunity to maybe spin it in a way like, you know, it's it's a new regime and things can happen and, you know, change is good. And so, I don't know, do you guys think, like, Ian did a, a good job? I mean, overall, I'd, I'd expect everybody was happy with the, the presentation, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did a really good job. I mean, that that job was used to be that used to be Metzen's, right? Big. Um, well, well, among them, among them. Oh, well, I mean, not, not the job I meant, but the uh, the presentation. Yeah, right? well, Metzen was always more of a the general hype, and I think he got, even got more involved from like a story perspective. Sure. Um, but I, I used to be like Ghost Crawler and and, oh, and Tom right. Chilton would go out there and talk about a lot more of the mechanical nitty gritty stuff as far as what exactly. You know, Metzen would be like, we're going to Draenor. And then like, <laughs> children would have voice. to come out and be like, well, this is what that actually means. So. Yeah, he did a great job. Yeah, he talked about everything um, without. He didn't have a whole lot of hitches. It looked like he's getting more comfortable talking in front of large groups. Yeah. You know, before, if he's kind of, you know, it can be difficult, obviously, but. Well, I know you were happy, Eric, with uh, at least one of the announcements that was made because you very specifically asked for it on the last episode of Wild Talk. <laughs> it was so nice to hear that we can fly again. I'm so sick and tired of having to try and run around and like I just for me like 
the big thing for me with flying is uh, the efficiency of getting all of the quests done that you need to do. Like, they want you to do the emissary quests and get all these basically dailies done. And the longer it takes to do that stuff, the less time I have in my evening to do other things or to group up with other people and do dungeons or whatever. It's like, hold on, I gotta run over to this flight path and I gotta wait for the flight path and I gotta pick maybe whichever emissary quests or whichever world quests happen to be closest together so I can get them done as quick as possible. Now it's gonna be like, alright, I'm just gonna hit this one, fly to this one, fly to this one. It's just gonna streamline the process. And how excited were you for the class mounts that they announced? Oh, that looks pretty cool, too. I mean, obviously, some people are... I mean, a lot of people agree that the Shaman one is pretty much the coolest thing ever. Um, I think that's pretty sweet. I, I like what they did with the Death Knight one, though. It's like... I know DKs have already had like their own class mounts, you know, with the, the Death Charger and that like Bone Griffin that you could get... Um, but this one being like an extra, or it's like a, it's like a, you know, one of the mounts you'd get out of ICC for doing the it's like achievements. A, it's a frost worm. It's like a frost yeah, worm. Like, but, yeah. But even more corrupted. And that looks kind of cool. Well, I don't know if you heard, because uh, I think Ian mentioned this in, uh, he did like an interview on the, the, the Blizz Q&A, uh, or, or the, like the main channel, like where he just talked to people afterwards. Um, but he mentioned that the class mounts will also have different colors for the different specs where it makes sense. Cool. So, cause I think the one that they showed, it had like the green, right. You know, it would the, be for like an unholy for, for like a, yeah, for, for a unholy. So yeah. So I'd expect like a red one for blood and then a blue one for frost, which mm-hmm. basically means like frost death knights are getting a frost war. Yeah, basically. Which, yes, those are right. Yes. <laughs> one thing. And I- then also the other one, I think that was, that was, they got a lot of attention was there was that like owl, Beast yeah, or the, the priest. Priest, priest. Which I gotta say, that that thing, I've never wanted to play a priest. Ray, I am jealous of you because that owl beast was gorgeous. But uh yeah, if you play shadow, like you get like a shadow tinted version of that. <laughs> I think my favorite That's pretty sweet. my favorite part is probably when Eric saw the DK out and said, Sweet, something awesome and full of death is what he said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It just looks it just looks corrupted and full of death. <laughs> Yes. I'd like it looked like it had like foul energy pouring out of the inside of it. You know, it's all green. I thought well, the other uh, thing that made me laugh though was the mage one. They really got the short end of the stick, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, I was about to say that is the mages they you well you know, to be fair, there they got that little like fl- flying portal. F- somebody called it a Dalaran sewer green. <laughs> yeah, that's kinda of what it's like. <laughs> but, you know what they should have uh, done yeah, for the- them? Instead of giving them a little a little disc like that, just give them the ability to fly, like like a Superman or something. I mean, well, they can warriors already kind of have that though, because they jump up and out of their uh, their class hall. This is true, but they could just. I'm thinking of them just you know flying like horizontal yeah. to the ground, one or two fists in front, depending. <laughs> Priests on can how levitate. Why don't you just make them IG Magini blink then? Use their arcane magic. Yeah. They could. I mean, they can already bend time and space. Why not? Well, why not fly? Well, druids, their their mount was just a straight up something they turn into, right? They, yep. I don't. So I mean, which that makes sense. They they're basically getting raven form back, right? I gotta say, the hunter mount, it left me more confused than anything, because it looked like a wolf with feathers. <laughs> it which I'm sure that makes a lot of sense, but I don't know. And especially the other thing too is they said something along the lines of like you get to build your mount, like. 
And I think they were just talking about like you'll you'll acquire it as you go along. It's like build a bear. No man's Warcraft. You can just like get these like ridiculous animal parts slapped together. Well, that's what I kind of wonder about exactly. Like, is that how the hunter mount is going to work? That you just like assemble it from random beasts and like stitch it together like some kind of undead monstrosity. So I assume not. I assume it's some kind of mythical creature that we're going to find that only lives in the broken isles and will only respond to hunters. But I don't know. It's. It'd be neat if, like, they let, like, marksmen, or, or I guess more, more Beastmaster Hunters. See, that's the problem is Beastmaster Hunters are the ones with the gun, but they should let you, like, use your gun like you're, you're rocket jumping. Like, you just shoot down your gun and then, like, <laughs> use that to just blast you where you need to go. Yeah. I think they should let you just build it from random beasts, though. Yeah. Imagine, like, chicken legs with horse hooves. Oh, God. Yeah, but that's, that's like, half of the, <laughs> the mounts in WoW already. I mean, look yeah, at the... Like, if you, like, you could say that about, like, hippogriffs. <laughs> so... And then, uh, speaking of hippogriffs, what uh, would they announce the uh, the mini holidays, which seems like a nice little touch. Yeah. Uh, one, the reason I'm uh, the transition there being that one of the mini holidays is the uh, hatching of the hippogriffs, where they, they said you can go. I think it was Feralos. They said that's where they hatch from. That you can get their uh, you can get like a little companion to come around with you. Okay. But yeah, so basically, this is just additional content. Where uh, the big one that he mentioned was the uh, Anchorage remember. Uh, yeah, Anchorage Remembrance Day, mm-hmm. where uh, they they would celebrate the opening of Anchorage, uh, and even then that was Ian. Ian had a great joke there where he said like we're going to celebrate Anchorage by shutting the servers down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no, there's a lot of. I mean, there was a lot of stuff there. I think the big stuff. I mean, you know, because we'll go, I think, into more detail on a lot of the stuff that they actually mentioned in the patches uh, next week. But the big thing here is that w- what we were, fun- at least what I was fundamentally looking for, was a game plan for, like, okay, where is WoW going, if not over the next year, at least the next few months, that, you know, they know what the plan is. It's not just going to be, hey, here's 6.2, and nothing. Mm-hmm. And we didn't we didn't they didn't even get to 6 7.2 off the bat cuz they had to do to 7.15 and so it seems that and again i mean this may have been the plan all along and ian just happens to be stepping up or this may be sort of ian's vision for the game but it seems that they're they want to do the major patches and then they want to have these like smaller patches that where they can continue to push content out and what i could see happening is that we'll get to say 7.3 which could be it sounds like it may be the final patch of legion it's not really clear at this point but we could get to 7.3 and then what we would have from 7.3 until whatever comes after legion is a series of these 0.5 patches and i don't know how the numbering will work i'll have to tweak that around a little bit but basically they want they said they want to have something on the ptr at all times and they want to, if, you know, just because content, you know, rather than waiting for a patch where they need all the content to be ready. And like you said, if they have four things that they want to release, rather than waiting for all four of those things before they can release all four, you know, four, if one of them gets delayed, they can still release the other three things and it's still a patch in and of itself. So I think as long as they have enough stuff, you know, queued up and as long as they're continuing to put stuff on the PTR, I think we should be okay. I, I hope this speaks to the size of the WoW development team that they can finally continue to put stuff out. Even if we get these 0.5 patches where they're just tweaking, you know, tweaking Brawler's Guild or tweaking some of the time walking stuff, then, you know, because the one thing that, that strikes me as odd about all this is that we know that January is going to be the release of Nighthold. We know that next week 
that, or I guess actually this week, that 7.1.5 will be on the PTR. And so after 7.1.5, presumably 7.2, and if you figure, let's say 7.1.5 comes out early January, it'll probably come out right around the time that Nighthold releases. How long do we expect 7.2 to be on the PTR? Because that means that Nighthold itself is going to have a very short shelf life. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, because I mean, you know, and then that's something maybe they need to hold. I mean, it could be too that they could very easily start to separate the raids from the patches. Although when you have a patch called Tomb of Sargeras, you should have the Tomb of Sargeras raid in that patch. <laughs> yeah. That would only make yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to see how they handle that. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Were there any other announcements that you guys were, were super excited about or anything? Yeah, anything the, you saw that they was were going mentioned? to give uh, some of the utility abilities back. Do you remember? Yes. That was a, well, that was a huge thing for me anyway. I, I, I hate when they prune. Like, I know it's a lot of abilities, but you have a lot of slots to put them. And if you're handy with keybinds, it's not that bad. I just like the utility. Have you like trimmed your hedges recently? Um, no. Because that's the thing that I've noticed is when you trim your hedges, you have to trim them extra short and then you have to <laughs> let them grow back. And I think that's exactly what they did here is they trim the abilities back extra short. You don't know that you've gone far enough until you've gone too far. <laughs> and then once you're like, oh, oh, I should have that last cut. That was the wrong one. Yeah. They were going <laughs> to get away for the bush to grow back. Like, yeah. Like Ian, so... Ian admitted that they shouldn't have taken traps away from all hunters. No, but, but, but that, that's the thing though, is at least that they're cognizant of the mistakes that they've yes. made and they have the ability, like, you know, it's not like it's a permanent thing. Like, nope, hunters are never getting traps back. Like, they, <laughs> they're able to then work it back. So it's a temporary issue. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm, I mean, you know, I know at some point we'll they'll they'll bloat it back up and we'll they'll cut it back again. I mean, mm -hmm. our abilities ebb and flow, but you know, it makes it makes sense that that's how they would do that. So this is like a haircut. You get split ends. You just got to trim them off until they grow back out again. This is what we're saying. It's more like you get a haircut and then you gotta go to the barber and that you tell them like just cut a little bit short and the barber like shaves your head and you're like, oh, that was not what I wanted. And then you gotta wait for <laughs> your hair to grow back into something stylish. So buy hats. <laughs> well, um, then also didn't they mention with PvP they were going to be trying to do fun things like the, those brawls you know this is one of those things where I guess like the, the cross pollination within Blizzard because they all play each other's games they all sit in the commissary and talk to each other you know when they, they I, I assume they swap team members with some sort of regularity it would seem but yeah but basically like they're looking at like the 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 brawl for Heroes of the Storm and the brawl in Overwatch and the the tavern brawl in Hearthstone and they're like, well, why can't we have like WoW brawl? And I think it was Holinka who even talked a bit about the or no, it wasn't Holinka, it was uh, Jeremy Fiesel who talked about during one of the Legion retrospective uh, panel. He was talking about how when they were trying to come up with world quests, that they started coming up with just crazy ideas for some of the world quests, like the mounted combat PvP <laughs> zone in uh, in Stormheim. And he said, like, they, they had that idea, they put that world quest in, and that inspired them to put the Ram of the Horn uh, PvP brawl in uh, Eye of the Storm, where everybody's on their mount and they could just knock everybody back like crazy. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, no, I, I mean, especially some of these some of these maps and some of these game modes are decade, decades, are a decade old. 
And yeah, if you want to freshen them up, I mean, especially, I think that's, I think that's what they've seen, you know, Hearthstone, you know, and, and Heroes and, and, and Overwatch, well, Overwatch even kind of pulled from Hearthstone, but it seems like these games that sort of have a weekly refresh that it's like, okay, we're going to have a little bit of content here and every week it's going to change. I mean, they kind of do that with the emissary quests every day, you get a different group of emissary quests. And that's your entry point into the greater framework of world quests. You can go and do as many of the world quests as you want, but at the very least, like you really only have to focus on just four if you want to just get that initial bonus to your 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 uh, your reward. And yeah, as long as they can kind of keep, it's basically like they have a set amount of content, and they know that if they give everybody the set amount of content, they're just like, here, we're just going to throw it all out there. It's always available. Do what you want when you want. Everybody's going to burn out on it eventually. But if they can just restrict it a little bit and just limit it and say, okay, like this PVP match is only available at this time, or this, you know, this world quest is only available at this time, that they can get a bit more of a lifespan out of that content because they can kind of guide people through it. That it's not, it's not like, like, you know, I mean, fundamentally you can look at it kind of the same way with the artifacts that these experiences, you know, you can go at any point and get your, you know, pick your class get them to 100 and go and experience the, uh, you know, the adventure through Legion, experience the different artifact storylines with the class halls and all that. That's content that's always there. People have to choose what they want to do. You know, they have to choose what their main is. They have to choose which alts they're going to ignore until later on. With the world quest and stuff, this is them basically saying like, okay, this one's going to be available now. This one's going to be available now. And it forces people sort of through a guided path. And that's, yeah, I I think that that's sort of a subtle change to how they've handled things. They kind of tried that a little bit back in Mists. If you look at like the uh, the August Celestials, where it was like each day only one of the four August Celestial hubs was up, but they did that so narrowly. And the other problem with that was there was only one of the August Celestial hubs was really worth doing because it was the uh, the Red Crane that hub had the storyline. So you had to wait for the Red Crane hub to come up. You know, hopefully every fourth day, hopefully more often than that. Otherwise, if for whatever reason it didn't come up, you know, over the course of a week or two, you were just stuck waiting for your story to advance. And yeah, that's, I, I think, you know, divorcing that from the whole thing, this, it makes so much more sense. I think they've, they basically said they've gotten nothing but praise for the systems that they've put in in Legion. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't think there's too much. Uh, the only complaint is that in, in some ways it still feels like there's too much to do, but we'll have to see. We'll have to see if they're always going to have something on the PTR. Like I said, like I think I said this on the last WoW talk, like I want to, I'm expecting there to be a gap when I can level my alts and not have to worry about working on my main. And normally every expansion so far, there has been that gap. But if they're constantly have stuff on the PTR, is it, it's, it sounds possible I may never get to my alts. I may never get to see the rogue quest line because I'm just <laughs> not going to get to that because I'm too busy with my hunter. <laughs> So as far as other stuff with WoW, um, there were a few highlights that came out of the Q&A. One, somebody asked the inevitable backpack question, Mm -hmm. and we actually got a different answer this time. Yeah, that's right. Which was (laughs) mind-blowing. That they said uh, that one of the, uh, I forget who it was that said that they talked to somebody on engineering, but basically somebody on engineering actually said it's not that hard. And so it seems that it's something that could happen that I guess they actually said the big obstacle now isn't so much the, the code. Cause that was, that's been the story for the longest time. They can't change the 16 space backpack because 
of the way that it was coded in. Some of the references to it are hard coded. And if you change that backpack, you'll change too many other things in the game. And it's, it's not as easy as just changing a number like, oh, backpack now 32 slots. Mm-hmm. Not that it can't be done, but apparently, it, it, you know, it was a lot more difficult, a lot more of an arduous task than we were led to believe. And apparently this engineer said, no, it's actually not that difficult. We can change it. You just need to make sure the UI matches up to it, which they can do. But then Ian came in and he basically said, at this point, it's not about changing the size of the backpack. It's about why do you need, why do you need to change the size of the backpack? You have, what what do you say? I think, because even then in Legion, they didn't up the size of the bags. Mm -hmm. So you have like 147 slots available to you in your bags. Why do you feel the need to carry around 147 items at any given time? Because because you don't get like to put your shit away i mean you have to bounce back and forth i mean my bags are always still full because not all quest pieces go away in a void it's still in my bag fucking fishing because you're trying to get mats for cooking for raiding still in my bag they don't go into a realm of like bloop here goes the little black hole into my bank like they're just still sitting there i can get my guild bank but you know guild bank See, I think you need to talk to Ian then, because he needs to hear your story so they can understand either why they need to up the size of the backpack, or he needs to help figure out why you need to carry all that and where that can be offloaded to. Yeah. That's where it's like, uh, I don't know, like Guild Wars 2, like, I didn't really like Guild Wars 2 as much as 1, but I know materials there, I think it was right-click and it just put your stuff into storage that were craftables or whatever, you know? So that, that that's something I like from Guild Wars 2, I guess. That would be nice. I don't think guild halls and guild houses really belong in WoW. That would be too awkward. I know that's another thing they talked about in the Q&A. Yeah, somebody asked about the guild guild, guild halls, and they, they gave the standard, no, we're not going to do it answer. Uh, I'm trying to think what other noteworthy stuff from the Q&A came out. Uh, they talked about Medan and how him being Guardian was not canon. So that whole Warcraft comic and the, the manga and a lot, of, a lot of stuff from there, it's still a bit ambiguous as far as what is and isn't canon, but in particular, the, the plot line with Medan becoming the Guardian. Medan himself is still technically canon. So Medivh and Garona do have a kid, but aside from that, he doesn't become the Guardian. Because, yeah, a lot of the stuff with them, with uh, Khadgar possibly becoming Guardian, doesn't make sense if Medan is still the Guardian wherever the heck he would have gone to. Um, I feel like at some point he's going to be completely just like, they're going to have to disavow that whole comic and story, even though a lot of the stuff from that comic is in the game. Like, I mean, Bear Bromantle and, and Valera Sanguinar and all that stuff kind of came over. So it'll be interesting to see how they go about that. Um, but yeah, Madan, Madan never felt like a good idea. Just he, he was too in a game where the character is supposed to be sort of like, powerful like Medan himself was too powerful and he he pulled from too many different classes and it was he was just bad uh, what else from the is, is there anything else from the q a we got red shirt guy we did get red yeah, shirt guy through. yes and we got uh row from run maintenance asked the first question mm-hmm. so yeah that's right yeah so there was yeah they, they, they did a good job i think overall they did a good job at the at this BlizzCon, as far as just integrating the community, I know I saw Day9, who I've grown to appreciate ever since he hosted the, oh god, what was it, was it two years ago at uh, E3, when he hosted that, uh, the PC game uh, panel? I know we talked about that, Jarrett. 
Which guy hosted the PC game? Uh, 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 I think his, what, his name is Sean Plot Day Nine. Remember, they yes, called it like yeah, uh, E3, E3 after yes, dark. Yeah. Yes, yeah, he hosted one of the panels uh, this year. He he was pretty good. Yeah, um, I know that. Had... Hmm? No, I said yeah, like yeah, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, uh, he was pretty good. I know they had Panzer uh, Trade Chat hosting the Q and A. Uh, she she was serviceable. Um, Overall, I think overall, I think they've 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 done it. I think it's interesting how they're sort of pulling in the community and really expanding the convention to recognize the different things. I know over at Blizzard Watch, they got super excited uh, because uh, one of the developers was wearing the Fjarnskaggle shirt that Ann Stickney designed during the uh, during the Legion design retrospective. So it, it even seems like they're. They're getting some of their their uh, they're definitely acknowledging the community's work as far as you know their response to the games. It's it it's a very lovey dovey convention in that regard. So good for everybody. The um, Woodstock of gaming. Yeah, kind of, kind of. Yeah, uh, Jared. I know you said you watched a little bit of the WoW PvP. How did that go? Shit was awesome. I had no idea what was going on, but it was amazing. I mean, <laughs> the. Uh, I watched it because I was like, somebody said something about it before. I said something about like, like they couldn't believe that people actually play, uh, you know, WoW PvP competitively or something like that. So I was like, oh, I'll check it out. I really, I mean, I haven't played WoW at this point. I haven't played WoW in ten years, and so th- I, 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 I wasn't even in WoW when they had the arenas, I guess, and um, the uh, the commentators were just so hype. During they were more hype than any other competition at BlizzCon, including the Overwatch Cup. The raw emotion those commentators had unmatched. I haven't seen anything like that besides what I see in the FGC. To be honest with you, and yeah, that's why I liked it. It was awesome. I was like, "Is a guy gonna die?" No, he's not dead yet. They're saying he's gonna die, but he didn't die. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's on fire now. Oh, still not dying. Like that's pretty much the, what my experience was. So yeah, thoroughly enjoyed. Would watch again. <laughs> nice, nice. So I think that'll wrap up our coverage of WoW for the uh, the convention. As I said, we'll, I think with a lot of the newsworthy announcements for WoW, we'll get into that in uh, next week's WoW talk. Um, but as far as other announcements that came, Hearthstone announced their next expansion. Uh, the uh, uh, I'm drawing a blank on the name of it now. The that's Gadget not good. Uh, but it's the, uh, the the Gadget Zan expansion. <laughs> uh, the only thing that's interesting about that is it's a uh, they're doing that thing again where Hearthstone is introducing WoW lore because I don't know if you guys saw, but they showed like the map of like here's Gadget Zan now, here's Gadget Zan what it actually looks like, and it's like eight times the size it's grown into like a full-fledged city all because of the commerce it got from being a port now and it feels a little bit weird because they kept talking about how oh you know like ever since the cataclysm when it became a port city now it's getting all that port uh commercialization that's what's allowing it to grow and it's like no i was just there for the legion invasions it still looked like a a tiny little village (laughs) so um It'll be interesting to see how that that all plays out. But yeah, the uh, the expansion that's right, Mean Streets of Gadgets, and that's what it is. I don't know. I mean, as far as it being a Hearthstone expansion, it's, it looks like it's going to be fun. There's a lot of crazy cards. Uh, they've got some now tri class cards that are in play. I think there's going to be nine tri class cards total. 
So these are cards that you can play in your, you know, in, in one of three class decks. Um, I guess, it, I mean, I mean, in a way, we've kind of had tri-class cards before in the sense that there is, you know, like every class has their, here's a spell that does two damage. So, I mean, this just kind of makes it so that they don't have to come up with, like, different flavor for that spell. Um, the artwork is amazing. It looks like it's going to be a great expansion. So I've already got a bunch of gold saved up to start buying packs. So I'm excited for that. Uh, Heroes of the Storm. This one, I don't know. What did, I'm curious what you guys thought of the cinematic because this was like the, the, the they announced they announced Varian and Ragnaros for Heroes of the Storm, and they did it through one of the. Well, I guess I mean probably the best cinematic they well actually because they also no I'd say this was better. This was better than the Sombra cinematic. Uh, the best cinematic yeah, it was. At the, uh, it was better the than the Sombra cinematic. Yeah, where, where it was basically sort of like a eulogy for Varian as he I guess transitions from Warcraft to the Nexus. Uh, but in doing so, it was also an introduction to Ragnaros in the Nexus, which is, I mean, the first time you're watching it, you know, it's, you're focused, you're so focused on Varian and his story and how they're just putting over, here's this king and he's dead, but he still fights because that's what he does is he's a fighter. And I didn't even notice that, like the burning theme in the background that, you know, even like the first thing that he sees in that nice little, little forest that he's standing in is like a burnt leaf. And then it just, he's just, oh, well, why is he going towards the fire? Why is he all of a sudden surrounded by like molten lava and, and, you know, the different weapons of the, uh, the various heroes of the storm, you know, all melted and, and, and stuck in the, the magma. And then finally, when he gets onto that little, the, the molten, I guess the piece of magma that floats, he gets onto that and then you hear the Ragnaros die insect. And it's just, that was amazingly epic and amazingly well done. I thought that was really great. Um, and in a way, it was very fitting that just as we've lost Varian in Warcraft, now he kind of gets to live on a little bit. And it's his story. His story isn't. I mean, it's over because it's not the same lore. The Nexus isn't canon, and I mean, ultimately, none of this matters. But it's still. It's it's kind of good to see like Varian still out there fighting and kicking ass and being Varian. And I say that fully as a member of the Horde. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> but i'll also admit that did make me want to play heroes of the storm again i won't because i don't have time but it makes me want to play heroes of the storm so i don't know but you you guys like the variant cinematic too or did you have any thoughts on that it's really pretty i liked it maybe pretty is not the word to use but i just liked it <laughs> no it was it was no they're, they're i mean even then i they're their cinematic team, they 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 knock it out of the park every time. And I mean, I thought it was funny. I did watch the WoW uh, Legion cinematics panel, and they were talking about like comparing the Legion cinematics to Warlords. And like, I love the Warlords cinematics, and they're like, yeah, but we've made them better in so many ways. And I thought about it for a minute. I'm like, yeah, the Legion cinematics are way better than Warlords, and the Warlords cinematics were pretty damn good. So it's like they just keep upping the. Uh, they keep upping the difficulty on it, but at the same time, they keep they keep meeting those expectations, if not exceeding them. I thought Taron Gregory had a great story uh, that uh, when he was told, like, they're like, yeah, so we're, we're going to kill Varian in, in one of these cinematics. And I was like, oh, and he's like, you know, because he's talking to Metzen and uh, Afrasiabi. Like, that was the, you know, the, this is when they told him, like, yeah, we're going to kill Varian. He's like, oh, so how, how does Varian die? And they're like, 
we don't know. You have to figure that out. (laughs) (laughs) And he was just like, oh, shit, like that's going to be difficult. But yeah, like so that whole plot of Varian, you know, fighting the Fell Reaver and then uh, Gul'dan blowing him up, uh, you know, that was all, you know, that was all done by the cinematics team. And, you know, again, that was a great job on their part. So Uh, but moving on, moving on. Uh, Starcraft, they announced, what is it? They announced the competitive co-op, or no, they announced the new co-op character. What was his name? Alexi something or other? That's a Jarrett answer, right? Yeah, Alexi, um, I don't know why he's, oh, I can't remember his last name. I, I'll remember, I, I just remember his name because, and he's in the Brute War cinematic when they leave everybody to die. <laughs> it was one of my favorite cinematics <laughs> in gaming history. Alexei Stukov, maybe. Yeah, that's, I think that sounds right. Stukov. Yeah. So Alexei. Yeah, so he's, Are you prepared to he, go all the way with these? That's how. That's how. How I remember that. My <laughs> terrible Russian accent. <laughs> <laughs> that's how. Yeah. I. Yeah. I like that guy. I was. I was like souped when he showed up in uh, Heart of the Swarm. So are you? Are you liable to play those co-op missions then? Oh, on New Starcraft. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I did enjoy Legacy of the Void to a degree. I mean, from a from a gameplay standpoint, in the single player, I thought it was good. The co-op missions were great. My biggest gripe with Legacy of the Void was the way they ended the story, you know? But yeah, so I'm probably going to play it. Did you play the Nova missions? I have not. That's because I've been so engaged with overwatch since like last november <laughs> when i got into beta you know so but yeah i, I have not played the nova missions uh, i need to check them out i am i haven't played starcraft in a while i'm missing it a bit you know but i it's like it's like those people who used to do like cocaine and they try not to fall back into it you know how much i used to play starcraft <laughs> I used to play StarCraft a lot. I used to play StarCraft more than I play Overwatch now. And I have Overwatch on three platforms. Jeez. <laughs> you know? So that just means you can take Overwatch off the PC and just play StarCraft. No. You have StarCraft in the one hand and Overwatch in the controller in the other hand. No, no. Doesn't work out. I used to just sit home on Saturdays and just game after game after game of StarCraft. Because the matchmaking system in StarCraft is great. Unlike some games. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you think of the AI in StarCraft? Because now they're supposed to be doing this new AI program with Google DeepMind to make that all better. That's fucking dangerous. Why would they do that? <laughs> it's a, StarCraft is a war game. Like, if you play StarCraft from a like a like uh, the same perspective... I mean, obviously it's in the future, and a lot of this, most of this shit doesn't exist, but if you play StarCraft from the perspective of how you fight a war, like, that's pretty much, that's your strategy. You stop your enemy from getting resources. Like, you don't, like, you know, yes, you can win a game of StarCraft by completely demolishing the other enemy and killing all their units, but nobody wins that way. You win that by sabotaging their economy and making it so they don't have money and they don't have resources so they can't build units so that when you go to them and they see your forces, they just give up. That's how you win in StarCraft. And you want to teach a machine how to do that? <laughs> Come on now. Yeah, like Terminator doesn't exist. <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely right. We're all, we're all going to die. Yep. I won't welcome our machine overlords. 
I won't. No, we're going to need you to fight them because you, you're the only one. If you don't actually fight them now in StarCraft, they won't know how to deal with you when we have to fight them later, for real. Yeah. <laughs> you can never play StarCraft again now. That's your mission. That's, yeah. <laughs> I'll come back when you need me. Exactly. Yeah. And I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, because there's other AI projects going on with, with games, you know, as it is. Because, I mean, essentially, games are just simulations. They're, they're you know, mm-hmm. the simulations to to a certain degree and you can make it as realistic as you want to. I mean, you like people who play like Arma, you know, like Arma and Arma, I think they're up to Arma 3 now. First of all, I don't know how people play that game. If you go play Arma, just join the military. <laughs> you know, <laughs> at that point. But it's like people play that game, that game is super realistic. I'm just like, you know, you know that you can have you, you know you could do it like that or you could do Unreal Tournament, uh, Unreal Tournament style, you know, jumping off of walls. 420, you know, <laughs> you know, no scope shit going on. Uh, but yeah, it's, I think it's, if you want to teach a machine how to do things, a video game is a great place to do it. And so I, I think it's on, cool then. besides the fact that we're all going to die from it, but you know. Well, yeah. Yeah. On a lighter note, they announced the 20th anniversary of Diablo. They talked about stuff with that. Uh, and in particular, as far as content coming for Diablo, uh, first, they announced that uh, they're going to be putting Diablo 1 inside of Diablo 3. And this actually sounded kind of neat in that what they're doing is it's it's an event called the Darkening of Tristram. And it's apparently like you'll be going through like a portal or something back to old Tristram as it was at the time of Diablo 1. But the entire interface is going to be redone to look like Diablo 1. The graphics are going to like be pixelated. Uh, your character, like your character is not going to move like it was Diablo one. Like, even though you'll be playing the Diablo three character, he's going to act like he's in Diablo one. The monsters are going to be from Diablo one. Uh, the four bosses from Diablo one will be back. Um, so this looks like a little cool event for them to celebrate that kind of like how they brought, uh, Taron mill versus South shore. They put that in for the wow 10th anniversary. Uh, this, it seems kind of sort of in that vein, uh, that they'll be bringing that back, which that seems kind of neat. And then also they announced uh, some new zones coming up uh, over the next year. I don't think they gave too much detail about them. And then also they announced the Necromancer will be available in a DLC pack. So you'll have a new character to play in Diablo 3, which I'll admit I was expecting Diablo 4. We did not get Diablo 4. That's okay. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think the, the problem with Diablo has always been, or I shouldn't say always been, but the the that at least for Diablo three, their whole way of monetizing it was the real money auction house, and that failed miserably. And so now they're trying to come up with some other way to monetize that because you look at Overwatch with the loot boxes, you look at Hearthstone with its packs of cards, uh, you look at WoW with its ongoing subscription, you look at uh, you look you look at what game am I missing? Oh, here's the storm where you buy the heroes. You know, like all these games have have ways of generating recurring revenue. And really the only thing that Diablo had going for it was these regular expansions that it could put out. Um, And I I guess they're trying to get it on a more frequent basis. So rather than put out a full expansion, it seems like they'll just maybe I don't think the Necromancer will be the last character we get for Diablo three. But the fact that they're going to be selling it as DLC does not give me a lot of hope for Diablo four in the near future. Um that said, who knows if that's what Tom Chilton's working on anymore? Because he was nowhere to be seen at BlizzCon, as far as I could tell. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's 
that's pretty much what they mentioned for the main games. But one last thing, I feel like this was the biggest news to come out of BlizzCon. And it wasn't, it wasn't like widely publicized. Um, and it's really a two-piece bit of news. Because the first thing is that Mike Morheim announced during the opening ceremony that Alan Adham has returned to Blizzard. He was one of the original three founders of Blizzard, along with Morheim and also Frank Pierce, uh, who closed out the opening ceremony in the Metzen spot. And Adham is notable because it's not just that he was one of the first three founders of Blizzard, but really he was sort of like the progenitor of Blizzard. He was the guy that said, hey, he went to Morheim and he went to Pierce, and he said, hey, we should start a video game company. And so it was, you know, it was, it was Adham recruiting Morheim, recruiting Pierce, and the three of them together, they founded Blizzard, and then they, you know, spawned everything else that has come from that. And so Adam has returned, and I forget his exact position, but he's like executive VP of new projects and incubation. Something along those lines, but basically he's the guy working on new stuff. And... That's very interesting because then somebody asked him during the 25th anniversary panel, what, well, actually they asked the question of the whole panel. They said, what have you wanted to work on that you haven't had the chance to work on yet? Like what genre have you had yet to tackle? Sadly, Ray, nobody mentioned dating sim, but he did mention, you know, they said, they asked one of the guys and he basically said, look, look, I'm working here at Blizzard. I've been able to touch everything here at Blizzard and everything I've touched at Blizzard is what I've wanted to touch. There's nothing where... There's nothing that I haven't wanted to touch that we haven't done. And that was kind of the, the the impression you got from everybody there. I mean, when you have the money that Blizzard has, if there's somebody in a high enough executive position that's like, hey, I want to work on a dating sim, Blizzard's going to make a dating sim. And, you know, th- apparently nobody feels like working on that right now. But then they asked Alan, who had been gone away from the company for 10 years or so. They said, well, what are you looking forward to t- touching most? And he talked about how he's still an avid Warcraft player and he's looking forward to getting involved with that. Uh, he talked. He told this little anecdote about how he was at a uh, he he was he went out to the bar with a bunch of Blizzard developers, and he said he, somebody 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 was asking like how many achievement points do you have, and he he said and I forget when exactly this was, but he 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 bet the he bet the bar. He said if anybody in this bar has more achievement parts than me, I'll buy a round of drinks for the entire bar. And he said he had like thirty five hundred achievement points, so that should give you a rough idea for when this was. And only one person in the entire bar, and this was all World of Warcraft developers there. So only one of these developers had more achievement points than he had. So we wound up having to buy the whole room a, a, a drink. But his point was that he, you know, he plays the game a lot. He's very involved. So they asked him, they said, what are you looking forward to working on most that you haven't working on? And he said, mobile is very interesting to me. And so basically we just had the guy who's in charge of all new products of Blizzard, you know, all new IP. And he said he's looking at mobile. And so I don't know when we're going to see anything come to fruition here, but I would take that as a very strong indication that Blizzard is moving into the mobile space, more so than just Hearthstone on tablet and and your phone, more so than the Legion app on your phone. I think we're going to start to see Blizzard developing some very specific mobile games going forward. Um, And I don't want to say abandoning the PC space, because, I mean, there's still a lot of people there that love the PC, um, and I, I wonder if maybe his his return has anything to do. Maybe he'll be working a bit more with King, uh, since they're now, you know, their own they they own part of them as well at this point. Um, but if, if 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 you know, I mean, and it is kind of the way everything does seem to be going. Mobile is a very open design space, but yes, this is I would take that as confirmation. Blizzard is going to move into the mobile 
space at some point. And if he's even half the World of Warcraft player he claims to be, and if he's even half as interested in mobile as he claims to be, I don't see how we don't get a pet battle app sooner than later. <laughs> so I think that'll that'll wrap us up. I don't know. Does anybody have any any final thoughts on BlizzCon twenty sixteen? Anything they saw that we didn't mention? Anything they wanna I think I gotta save up? it for our podcast next week, right? <laughs> Well, yeah, we got to have something to talk about next week. So, <laughs> save it for then. So, yeah, so this has been the uh, the joint WoW Talk Watchpoint Radio crossover episode about BlizzCon. Uh, you can email us here at WowTalk at, at WowTalk at MashThoseButtons.com. Uh, Jarrett, where can people contact Watchpoint Radio? WPR at MashThoseButtons.com. And you can check us out on your favorite podcasting platform. We're on iTunes, Overcast for iOS, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Player.fm, Pocket Cast, SoundCloud, and also by RSS feed. Links are available for each platform right on the Mash Those Buttons website. You can find us at, at twitter.com slash MTB site, also twitter.com slash wowtalkmtb, facebook.com slash mash those buttons, facebook.com slash wowtalkmtb, and youtube.com slash mash those buttons. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help us out, please share it and rate it if you can. Uh, Jarrett, where can people find you and Watchpoint Radio? Oh, underscore Ja underscore on Twitter. That's underscore J-A-A underscore. Most I, most of the people I interact with from the show uh, find me on Twitter, but you, know, you can also hit us up on Facebook, SoundCloud. There's a uh, comment, well, not a comment section, but sorry, um, a contact form on the website. You can reach out there. Jaws always listening. He's on that tower. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He is. And Ray, where can people find you? Uh, easily uh, through Facebook and again, AIM, which you can find on my Facebook. And Eric, where can people find you? You can find me through Facebook. And I am at WookieBH on Twitter. Uh, so thank you for listening uh, to fans of Watchpoint Radio and Wild Talk. Thank you. Uh, for Ray, Eric, and Jarrett, I'm Nick. Enjoy playing WoW, enjoy Overwatch, and enjoy this year in Blizzard Gaming. Ooh, I'll see yeah. you guys on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, you'll be back. Don't be talking about all this soon enough. Later. Thank you for choosing a Mash Those Buttons podcast. Here's what's coming up this week on Mash Those Buttons. On Monday, November 7th, Jorge and David transmit in orbit, this week talking about Wrath of the Machine challenge mode and moving into a dry content period. Also on Monday, Mash Those Buttons presents the BlizzCon 2016 wrap-up, where WoW Talk and Watchpoint Radio combine to talk about what they saw at BlizzCon 2016. On Tuesday, November 8th, Nick and Katie continue their efforts to educate you on WoW lore and the Torn and the Goblin, talking about High Mountain, Mela the Aspiring Chieftain, and Dargrul the Aggressive Villain. On Wednesday, November 9th, Jarrett, Mikey, and Bond bring you the latest in Overwatch and its community on Watchpoint Radio. This week we go into detail about BlizzCon 2016 announcements and what they mean for the community, pick apart the community Q&A session, and talk about the importance of wearing headphones. 
On Friday, November 11th, Mike, Rob, and Luke bring you Sit Rep Radio, talking about the latest in the division and the state of the game. To find more information on all of our shows, go to mashthosebuttons.com slash shows. And to see our full podcast schedule, visit mashthosebuttons.com slash schedule.